Hello again, it's Bronwyn Logan here and uh, I've got with me today on Reiki Women Podcasts uh, someone called Elise Brenner. Welcome Elise. Thank you Bronwyn, lovely being here. A beautiful woman's voice who's just written a book so she's putting her voice right out there which is excellent mm-hmm. and she's going to talk more about that later. But to start with, uh, let's go with the question that Uh, Elise is going to answer so the question was as a woman are there specific pressures you feel placed on you by society by your family or maybe yourself thank you it is a brilliant question and I want to say that you know International Women's Day was two days ago (laughs) and knowing the date I went with this topic and I want to say to everyone I do not pretend to represent all women identified people I am a white, urban, straight, cisgender woman over the age of 65 years old, and I live here on the land of the Massachusetts. So yes, to answer the question, absolutely. Our society has constructed and perpetuated gender norms and expectations for all of us. And the question, though, is about Um, my gender, which I define as woman. And I would definitely say that these norms and expectations can be labeled as pressures. And some specific pressures I experienced, and please remember that I was born in the 1950s. Okay, so, right. (laughs) And so the first one to me is a particularly nefarious message to women, which is, you're just not okay the way you are. And this can refer to one's skin, one's face, one's hair, one's body, one's behavior, one's speaking voice, the words you choose, um, the choices you make, your attitude, your moods, your values. And uh, to me, in my anthropology scope, part of this is due to capitalism because capitalism requires economic growth and economic growth depends on people by buying, 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 and shopping, shopping, shopping. So the system of capitalism fuels, it fuels um, wanting, it fuels needing, it fuels dissatisfaction, and it stirs up dissatisfaction with what we have, what we look like, um, what we sound like, what we feel like. And, you know, the idea is that once we've, you know, bought enough and changed ourselves enough, then maybe then women will be judged good enough. But I think the cost is very high because sometimes we're not even conscious of it. So that is the biggest pressure. And then I thought about, you know, what is the society that I'm living in and have lived in reward women for? And what do they kind of punish or at least not reward women for? You know, what is approved of and what is disapproved of? And I do still think that women are rewarded for finding a mate and having children. I think women are rewarded for success but not too much or else you're seen as selfish and manly and not nurturing and motherly. 
And the last big pressure to me is the pressure to please, mm -hmm. to please and be agreeable, as in to please everybody else and be agreeable, right? Mm, yeah. So those, those to me are the specific pressures, I think, maybe placed not just on me, but by on many women. But like I said, I'm not speaking for, I don't represent all women. Thank you, Elise. That was excellent. And I've got lots of questions now. But before I go into that, I did forget to mention before that you teach medical anthropology in Boston. And uh, you also run Brenner Reiki Healing. Uh, so if anyone's looking for you, that's where they'll find you. Now, I've got a couple of questions. So there's lots in what you just said. If we go back to the beginning, what would be, I, I loved what you said about capitalism. I mean, it's something we don't just immediately go, oh, that's what it is, right? But I can understand that link that you're making. So what then is the alternative? And I'm not saying you have to say you're a socialist or a whatever, but is there a new order or is there, do you have an idea of a way forward? Wow, little old me gets to answer that question. <laughs> Um, whoa. So I think you hear a lot of talk that I agree with about circular economies, right? Because, you know, we're talking about an economic system. So in circular economies, they're meant to be sustainable and it can, and they can be based on, you know, anything that you take out of the, out of, let's say the earth or out of you make into a product has to have either the ability to go back into the earth and then recirculate like the way nature go, does, or if it's a product, it's made from things that are repurposed or, you know, for people, just regular people, going to a store that is a resale store so that that item it was made once mm. that means any exploitative labor that was involved in it was they were only exploited right a little less um whatever damage to the environment and you know transporting it from one place to another it happened once so somebody wore it or used it then you wear it and use it. And that would be part of circular as well. So that sounds like it's gonna be, wow, we have to like go small. No, I think economists are talking about circular economies um, on a scale. It doesn't yeah. mean we all are gonna live off the grid. I think that's pretty impossible now. When I got my training in anthropology, I started as an archeologist, you know, and we had to learn how to use stone tools make them and use them and it was hard and you know i know we're not going to go back to it but if anything happens you just come to me i might not be able to fix your computer but i can help you make a stone tool and that goes for everyone out there right thank <laughs> you for the my excuse, <laughs> that's my excuse <laughs> to not embrace um uh some of the technology that i find difficult right because i got the stone tools now i got <laughs> 
Um, and what could be more circular than that? stone tools it's very interesting what you're saying i actually was listening and they were talking about america uh recently and food and i'm a vegetarian and they're you know they're they're making a lot of you know fake foods now as such like fake meats yeah and they're using like a cell of an animal and then they're creating all from that they're actually creating pretend meat yeah Oof. And it apparently tastes like meat. They've got the texture. They've got the whole thing happening. And uh, I was wondering if I would do that because it is, uh, it's still the cell of an animal. You know, you were just saying like yeah. you've got it's that. It's still the cell of an animal yeah. and it's food made in a lab. Absolutely. So mm, I'm not, I'm a vegetarian also, and I'm not, I uh, don't no, purchase or eat any of that stuff no. that the fake meat i just no there's too many other great things that have been on this earth long enough that it's, it's, isn't it interesting and then possibly it comes around to what you were saying about you know our capitalist societies and we're just so used to being able to have whatever we want right and this idea that we have to have meat so just just this is a slightly different thing but you know it is that it's a part of that it's that we have to have if you go to um you know i spent time in india and you know um the idea wasn't that people would always eat meat that they would only eat meat when there was a special occasion or something like that because it was special yeah yeah Yeah. where in our society yeah yeah, sorry. I was just, it's just so destructive mm. to the animals in the environment. It's just mm. not working anymore. It's one thing to be kind of a lean, mean hunter and gatherer using a spear that you made and literally putting your life on the line to go out after an animal to feed like quite a few people versus a concentrated animal feeding lot that we see now. Oh, or killing out the rainforest to ranch these the McDonald's beef, you know, it is beyond all. The global food system is is just sick. Yeah. And it's making people sick. Yeah, and we are perpetuating that. So, you know, that idea we need to actually change our mindset, which is what you were saying before, I I think. Yes. Well, it all it's all the ideas in our heads, yeah. Yeah. So looking at all of this stuff, you know, how do you find the system of Reiki, you know, has helped you uh, navigate it and continue to navigate it, um, especially as a woman, yeah? Yes, unequivocally, the system of Reiki has allowed me to, uh, as you said, navigate by, I would say, it doesn't matter what practice it is. We get more familiar with ourselves. And when we get more familiar with ourselves, we get more familiar with our conditionings, even those that are related to the societal level. So it's that stillness of all the practices that I can experience mindfulness of myself. I mean, How am I relating to these experiences? What is coming up for me in any given um, interaction, right? And with that mindfulness, wisdom 
comes up and, and we can gain some insight and explore. And, you know, as a woman, like as a human being, as a woman, I find out what I'm clinging to and how harmful that unnecessary clinging can be. So we might cling to any someone who's over 65. You know, if you're clinging to youthfulness in a society that, you know, makes aging a crime and looking older a crime, then clinging to the old image, uh, to an image of your youthful body is going to be harmful. And it could turn people to harmful measures that are, you know, chemically or even surgical and really just getting comfortable with who we are, the real self, that all these things like the aging and the youthful thing, that's a construct of the society. But as you said, it's about the mind. It's about we, we then take that in. We take that in as if it's true. And so I think we all, I know I've acted dishonestly, if you will say, and inauthentically for a lot of my life to keep up like the appearances of the societal conditionings. And so now age helps a lot to really get a handle on the soul, S-O-U-L, I might say, the soul self, you know, beyond the roles, beyond the rules um, that are constructed by society. And it can only, you know, I learned so much about the hara and anchoring the nervous system and then being able to stand on this platform of courage and composure when experiencing gender-based pressures or anything else. And I, I think in particular, it's the fourth precept. I know the fourth precept can be anything. It goes everywhere, but <laughs> be true to your way in your being. Has, I've always said, and I think we wrote about it in our book, um, <laughs> in order to be true, like Bronwyn, in order for you to be true to your way in your being, don't you have to know your way as in capital W Dow? And don't you have to know your being? And that's the thing in order to be true to our way in one being, we first have to know what, what it is. And as a woman, our way in our being may be what that person told me I had to be and what the other person who I was pressured to please. So I could be a mature woman and I see a lot of women like this in my practice, they don't know who they are because they're who that person and that person told them they had to be. So yes, the fourth precept and gender-based pressures, um, who am I underneath all of that? And can I discover that? And how liberatory that is for any being, any being. Yeah, and I think, you know, working as an anthropologist or having studied anthropology, that is a very driving question for you. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> being true to your way as a woman, mm. so do you think, 
and I'm talking here also as as a professional. Um, do you think that women are naturally nurturing? I think this is such a big question for women because That's I hear great. a lot of women talking about it. Yeah, and so I think all human beings mm -hmm. have the potential. Yeah, to be nurturing. Yeah, and to be cold. I don't know. I don't know what the opposite would be. Not yeah. nurturing. Yeah. So I think we, everybody has the potential for anything, mm -hmm. but then culture comes in, you know, like you were just saying anthropology, culture comes in and then steers us in a given direction in this society. But over here in this society, it steers us in another direction and quite sure that it's not um, completely genetic because there's the famous story of Margaret Mead going into Papua New Guinea and going along the Sepik River and she meets, you know, the Arapesh and the Mandugamore and she's looking at sex roles, gender roles, we might say, and from one place to the river to the other to the river here the women are aggressive and the men are meek and nurturing and then over here they're both about equally the same of everything and over here that so you know that's where she writes the book sex and temperament and you know yeah that it's it's formed mm, the potential is there for every anything probably but what the society will allow to be pulled out of you and what you are being asked to suppress in any given society. So there's a lot of societies, for example, that say to be a good human being, you, you share and you're generous. And I know in the US, if you share and you're generous, people think you're a sucker. They're like, you know, we're hoarding shit all the time. Excuse me, but you know, how big's your car? And what's, what do you got in your driveway? And uh, you know, how big's your bank account? We accumulate and then we aggrandize people who accumulate. Mm. You accumulate in, in traditional uh, subsistence rural societies and you're gonna be looked at like there's something very wrong with you and you've been, who knows what you've been monkeying with, you know, with bad, bad stuff to, to uh, you know, accumulate. That's the quickest way to go to any version of uh, eternal punishment, you know? So we have the potential to be either one and what's, yeah. So um, that's what I think. What do you think? Yeah, I, I pretty much think the same as you really. Um, I think that mm -hmm. we are created by our environments largely. Um, though I do think that uh not necessarily in the nurture nur aligned with the nurture concept but it does seem to me that when we're born into this world although we have this sense of purity um we're all still quite unique and different so um that there is that there is that aspect to that but uh, definitely that it is uh especially for women that we are as you say formed you know, to please, to, th these are things that are pressures on us that that shape us into who we are. I mean, I remember seeing, uh, I was just talking recently about my mum. I remember as a kid, my mum would always sit on the sideline 
while it'd be like oh dad you go play with the kids I'll be here sort of thing and she never played yeah and I just thought that was normal for a woman this is the way I was brought up of course everyone's families will be different but I thought oh that's what a woman does that's what a mother does a mother sort of holds the fort and the others go off and have fun you know and uh so I did exactly that too so I and then I could reflect as I got older, obviously reflect back upon that and think, oh, why did I do that? But I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, however, if I hadn't had that experience, I certainly wouldn't have done that. Um, it's like once you have that family, fun is a little off limits. <laughs> this is now your duty and your obligation. And, you know, there is that tiny piece you can't argue with about kind of like the biological imperative which is lactation you know nursing yeah um that only can be one person that you know that's doing that uh so um yeah i don't think that your mom's experience and your experience were was um at all wacky you know <laughs> on its own weird thing i think that is actually quite revealing of you know, girls just want to have fun, but once you, right, you know, that's not right. But once you are, you know, settle down, settled down, then the fun is over. Oh, and if we see you frolicking and having fun while you're pushing, you know, the baby carriage, we think there's something wrong with you. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I think you're right. I don't think that's changed a lot. What I think is that, um, you know, you talked about the potential that we have and possibly if we come back to that, it just gives us a, a possibly a more positive spin on it. But, you know, this idea that we all have individually and as cultures have the potential to change and to be aware of the more awareness that we have, and that's where, for me, the system of Reiki comes in, yeah, bringing consciousness to my situation, using the precepts, whatever, to uh, bring a greater awareness to what I'm doing. So the more that we, as a society, are more conscious, then we have, we can take a hold of this potential and we can make change. 100% agree. Mm. And, you know, just to elevate one moment or amplify there's um the concept of critical consciousness that is on a different level but i think that when you start expanding your awareness a uh, critical consciousness is when you become conscious of like like the system of capitalism yeah. right you become conscious that um the structures and forces of society are often set up to harm and disadvantage populations of people who are not like in the US, you would say kind of a male white standard. Yeah. And anything that isn't that is already going to be uh, marginalized and ridiculed. So some of the worst things you can say are like, you throw like a girl, right? So using um, gender to disparage yeah. a man because 
womanhood is always down one in patriarchal yeah. systems, right? And developing critical consciousness is equally as important as developing our um, mindfulness consciousness within yeah. ourselves, I think. That's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should finish on that. But before we do, I'd love to see your book. Hold her so up. I want to say that it's co-authored. So I'm going to yep. show you yep. um, me and Nancy Spatz. Yep. And then we can move to the title. Can you tell me if you can see that? It's in front uh, of my I can page. see Reiki. Let me have a look at the, the, the title under that. A self-practice to live in peace with the self and others. Beautiful. But the world needs uh, all the time, but now, uh, you know, the horror, the anguish of what people are going through in Ukraine is something, you know, we can do our part, you know, so both kinds of consciousness and yep. compassionate action come to play. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Elise. I loved Thank it. You for the opportunity. I had a blast. <laughs> 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 a bit of fun. We and have to have fun. That's it. And uh, yeah, look, thank you for everything. And um, I appreciate your wisdom. And I'm sure everybody who listens in will absolutely love listening to what you've just had to say. Well, thank you so much. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> All thank right. You for me. It was so fun. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs>